Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Humans are, by default, emotional beings. In fact, we're emotional beings who think, not thinking beings who emote. Today, I'm talking to Gary Hosey, the founder of EI Company, a master coach and a speaker. He's passionate about people achieving their full potential, both personally and professionally, and a major part of his work is in the field of emotional intelligence. Gary is married to Lou, and they have a daughter, Rebecca, studying a master's in Brighton, and Johnny, who's doing an arts foundation year in photography. When Gary's not coaching others and being with his family, he enjoys working with young people at church and fly fishing for trout and salmon. Welcome, Gary. It's great to see you. Thanks for joining me. Andrew, thank you for having me uh, uh, join you and your audience. It's a joy to be with you. So, Gary, you grew up in the northeast of England. Your speaker profile says that you've been on a colourful journey from being emotionally dysfunctional to a leading expert in the field of emotional intelligence. So let's explore this a little bit and, and perhaps start with the, the dysfunctional time uh, in your life. How would one of your teachers at school have described you, do you think? Well, I think that's a brilliant question. I've never, ever, ever been asked that on a podcast previously. So probably not many people know this. And if any of my school chums hear this podcast, then they'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that. So a PE teacher used to call me pedal fisher because I used to love cycling and, um, as you've said, a keen fisherman. And that kind of stuck. And he always used to say to me, Hosey, I can't understand how you can stand in a river for half a day chasing fish. So you've had this lifelong love of fishing. But tell me a bit about this dysfunctional part of your life. Why would you describe yourself as that? I think for me, that's that's a kind of self-truth. My parents did the very best that they could. Dad was in the army, travelled around a huge amount. My sisters were both born abroad. Well, we were all born abroad, actually. So Bahrain... Holland and I was born in Germany and we settled in Catrick in in Yorkshire. When dad came out of the army it was a very different time for us as a family because dad hadn't been around and and it didn't work out so they my parents divorced and and that set us on a very different trajectory and mum worked like mums do just tirelessly looking after three kids and at times struggled and found it very difficult and I think I think that leans into the dysfunction, but it it almost wasn't the family situation that was the dysfunction. It was almost a generational thing, I would say, because growing up in the 70s and 80s, it was still quite stiff upper lip. You know, we didn't talk about feelings, emotions. I can remember one time, actually, when, when I was 16 and my mum said to me, Gary, you're so selfish. And I can remember thinking, oh, that's an interesting word. I've never heard it before. What does it mean? And I didn't even know that kind of thing. So it really wasn't part of our everyday language. And I think that's where the truth bit for me is around that sort of dysfunction bit. 
So you left school. What did you do after school? What did you what were you thinking about? I got through school, but kind of only just really. I wasn't really academically focused. So I didn't really leave with many qualifications. I loved engineering and mechanicking. So that's where I tried to go. I tried to join the army, the REMI, failed one of their mass tests. So I didn't make their cut. So they offered me another regiment, didn't do that. So I ended up at Darlington Technical College and I managed to talk my way onto the third year of a three-year program on vehicle mechanic and because I, I had some experience. So that's kind of where I went into and then discovered how tirelessly boring working on cars is because it's just repetition. You know, you're doing the same jobs, just different vehicles, slight variations. So I kind of fell out of love with it and um, I ended up helping a friend from church renovate a farm into an outdoor centre. And that's where I kind of made that first kind of life step into something different and something new. Um, and that was in in Teesdale in, in County Durham near Barnard Castle, which, of course, is very famous now. Yes. <laughs> and what was it about that? Was it the work you were doing? Was it the people you were with? What caught your interest? Well, personally, I, I, I enjoyed the outdoors tremendously. I I'd grown up in the outdoors, living in Yorkshire, you're not far from the countryside anywhere. And as a teenager, I joined our local army cadet force. I joined a climbing club and a caving club, which which was in Richmond. And so I was kind of enjoying the outdoors. So when I was helping to renovate the farm into an outdoor centre, I was invited to stay on and be an instructor. And that appealed to me for a couple of years, which I really did enjoy because there was a lot of variety. Yeah, yeah. And that must have given you your first taste of perhaps having input into other people's lives, working with other people, teaching them, coaching them, seeing the impact of weekends away or time at the centre in their lives. Yeah, it, it, it is. It was a special time, really, because certainly when I became an outdoor instructor, I, I found, you know, a new a new place to be. I thoroughly enjoyed helping people overcome something because that's often what it is with the outdoors, you know, whether it's abseiling down a cliff or climbing up one or going underground. These are not usual environments. And a lot of people have fears, anxieties, concerns about being in those environments. So, yeah, it was it was great fun, actually. Yeah, we've all, we've all sort of watched the, the first time abseiler panicking at the top. And we're going to come on to the theme of emotional intelligence, but that is one of those moments where the emotions really do come to the surface, don't they? One of the joys of being in that kind of sector was when somebody, you know, back at base and you're briefing them on the activity of the morning or whatever, and they're like, you're never going to get me to do that. And you don't, you know, you never force people, but you just gently encourage them and say, look, you can come and have a look, you know, just put the gear on, we'll safety you to the edge just have a look if you don't want it that's fine and then when they actually go and do it and they and then they you can't stop them doing it because they're just like actually you know what this is super fun and safe so what's not to love that that was a real joy so at, at some point you then want to kind of focus in on coaching and training and and so on so you joined a company called high force training so how did that come about? And tell us a bit about your sort of first assignment. 
Well, that was a really interesting big step, big change in in what I was doing. I, I enjoyed working with young people in the outdoors, but again, it started to get a bit re- repetitious doing similar things each week. And I was starting to discover that I do like variety, and that that's a spark for me. So um, when I left the outdoor centre, I was offered a role as a kind of trainee facilitator at this training centre, and, and they said, well, we do use the outdoors for experiential learning, but we are a training company. And that was the difference for me. They had a bona fide trainer who'd been in industry and could facilitate and coach. And so I became a kind of apprentice to him. Sid Strike is his name, super chat. We did all sorts of things from team building. We even did an experiential time management course that Sid designed which was just brilliant fun. And so learning to facilitate and draw learning out in that way was very different because you just don't know what the conversation is going to bring. And that's what I loved. And what was your first assignment when you were on your own doing something? Yeah, I do remember, actually. I was led up to having a first assignment. So I would have a session first and then I might have a morning and then I might get a day. And eventually I did get a first assignment. And I can remember we were working with a company from Teesside. I think it was a petrochemical company. And we were doing a team build and I was asked to lead it. And it is, it's, I mean, when we talk about emotional intelligence and those kind of stronger triggered emotions, you know, it was a real up and down, you know, getting feedback from Sid about how it was going, trying to apply that. So yeah, quite tumultuous, I would say. But comfort zone is is a place that we all need to stretch and grow and we learn our lessons through that. So it was a big learning time. Yeah, it, but it's nice that you were able to stretch outside that comfort zone sort of step by step, you know, your session, your morning, your day, and then taking the leadership. It wasn't one, it wasn't completely in at the deep end, was it? No, no, thankfully not. And you mentioned emotional intelligence there. And that seems to be a theme that must have grown in terms of focus for you. What was it about emotional intelligence that captured your imagination or made you feel this is something that's really important? One of the elements that I picked up when I started working with Sid was about learning to be a learner again. So I would begin to read much more and and study the field, so to speak. And Sid would introduce me to topics. And in the late 90s, emotional intelligence was just coming into that sector. And it kind of caught my imagination as a topic. I was like, emotional intelligence, what's this all about? And, And at that time, a client that we're working with had asked us to do an introduction to this topic. And I said, well, I have been reading on this. I said, can I do it? And and so I was invited to do this uh, one-day introduction. And as an early adopter, it it was quite a kind of content-heavy day. So the feedback was, I've learned about the topic, but I'm not sure I've learned about how to change me. So I wanted then to develop this as a capability. Personally, I thought it was really valuable. I thought it's going to have its place alongside leadership team development. And so I suggested to the leadership team at the organization that we should make it a capability. I'd like to get trained in it, get certified in using assessments. 
And that's where the journey began. And so I first got certified in 2003. So for those who are listening to this, who might not really understand what is meant by the term emotional intelligence, how would you summarize it in a nutshell? My one sentence is emotional intelligence is about everyday behavior. It's a framework of bringing those behaviors into a model that we can look at and understand. So when you go through, for example, the EQI 2.0, which is the assessment that we use, though, of course, there are others out there as well. People often say, well, you haven't told me anything new, but actually I didn't know the names of all these behaviors and how they fit together and what interactions they had. So that's how I would describe it in in a nutshell. Yeah, and that EQI 2.0 model has a number of sort of themes, doesn't it? Yes. Things like self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal decision-making and stress management. And those five headings provide a sort of structure, I guess, to how to think about your emotions and how they impact your behaviours. Yeah, and and so... Adding on to that kind of one sentence of everyday behavior, that takes us on a self-awareness journey that enables us to to get to know ourselves, what works for us, what doesn't work for us, and and how we navigate that emotional territory. Because, of course, humans are, by default, emotional beings. In fact, we're emotional beings who think, not thinking beings who emote. And of course, that's all happening simultaneously, but quite often we're trained into as part of education, sometimes upbringing, certainly in our careers, that we're all about the do and the task. So we're often just about that side of the world that we're living in. And we almost either compartmentalize out the emotional functioning or we get so less practiced at it that it's almost, you know, we don't even notice it's there. And so that framework enables us to get to know us as individuals in in a much more meaningful way. So, you know, the science and research over the last few decades has more than confirmed that to get the best out of life and, and achieve what is successful for me, whatever that is, actually, emotional intelligence is one of those enablers that helps us to be able to recognize that and do it. Mm. And that's one of the things I really like about this theme, because, you know, they say you're born with an IQ, and it's sort of that's what it is. But your emotional quotient or EQI is something you can develop, work on, improve with time and practice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, my own journey of being emotionally dysfunctional to now, you know, you very kindly describing me as an expert in the field. It's probably been more enriching personally, although I find that my professional world and the leaders and teams and organizations that I get to work with just totally fulfilling, but certainly in in home and social life, it's a game changer. Mm. Absolutely. I, I, yes, you're right. And, and it's not just work, is it? It's work and mm-hmm. home life. It's it's the whole person. Yes. Um, I'm just thinking, can you describe an example of a client you've worked with, the theme of emotional intelligence and them taking it on board, applying it has had a big positive impact on, on their work? Yeah, happily. One recently, I was just chatting with a leader that I worked with for about a year in a coaching context. So we would have a monthly coaching session focused around emotional intelligence. This particular leader's challenge was that they were so 
work focus, that home life was suffering. And at the start, he said to me, I'm really emotionally engaged in the work that I do. And that's all encompassing. And it means that, you know, my corporate life gets the best of me. And I'm exhausted when I get home. And so he was getting feedback from not just his wife, but his kids as well, that, you know, you're not engaged, you're not present, you're not emotionally in the game, so to speak. So that was the start of his his time together. And it was completely transformational for him to begin to recognize how he focuses that emotional energy towards whole life, not just work life. And I was actually just having a catch up with him this week, just as I do like to keep in touch with people. And and he'd said he, he was turning down a piece of work because of that home life balance. And he knew that it would tip it over into imbalance. So he was making those healthy choices not to do that. Wow. Yeah, that's good. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It sounds like you had a really positive experience and time at higher force training but then in 2009 you kind of stepped out of that and started your own company high impact mm. development yes what happened why did you do that because it's a it's not a small undertaking to start your own company is it not at all no and and i guess my hand was forced a little bit because that was the time when in 2008 9 when we had the global financial crash that had a big impact on high force and and what was going on there as you can appreciate organizations cut spending and often training is considered a nice to have which is a big shame because when the difficult times come it's that's where we should be investing to weather that storm so it kind of forced the hand that I had to leave the organization and it was like, well, do I get a job and what do I do? You know, High Force was just an, a complete adventure. I learned so much about myself, about living and about serving people. And it kind of wasn't really a job. They were very open in, in allowing me to create what we would describe as my own cabbage patch. So my own way of being and working. So I kind of felt like it was my business. You know, I treat it like that. And I think that's what made us successful in the in the team. We all kind of had that attitude and value set. So when it came to shall I get a job or do, do my own thing, it was kind of like, I'm not sure I'm made for a job. I'm not sure I could fit into that sort of construct. So so I made the choice to to start high high impact development. And you used a phrase there that I really liked, and that was a passion for serving people and teams in their pursuit of high performance. In in the world of business, you don't hear that phrase about serving others. Tell me why do you use that phrase? Thank you for asking about this, Andrew, because it's a value of mine as a human on the earth. And I think it comes out of my journey in faith as a Christian, that service element. And it's really a value of ours as an organization. We, our purpose is to serve our clients, and we work very hard to do that. And for me, it, it makes that human difference. I think what you would describe it now in today's terms, you hear of organizations becoming a B Corp where they meet a certain criteria of 
not just being a business and, and making profit, but supporting environmental impact, serving community, giving back, feeding forward, however you describe those things. So it's kind of in, in line with all of that. And, and I think that's what separates us as an organization often in the marketplace that we like to, I would be so bold as to say magnanimously serve our clients. You know, we do like to go over and above. And that for me is a big part of coaching. It's a, it's a very different perspective and viewpoint to business, isn't it? Because often when you're in business, you have a product that you're looking to sell. And and that change of perspective from selling something to serving somebody looks at what you're able to do from their perspective and what can help them and support them and enable them, which is a very, it's a 180 degree turn of viewpoint, I think. It is. And, you know, we start them all with a blank piece of paper and we start with a conversation around. So what's got to where we are now and where do you want to go? Because although leaders, teams, organizations face similar challenges, but they're uniquely individual to the makeup of the organization, the culture of wherever they're based. So that for me, it has to start with a blank piece of paper of, so tell me about you. I'm just thinking about what's next for Gary Hosey and EI Company. What are the areas you're you're looking to continue your development? Um, in about... 2012, 13, I think it was, we rebranded to EI Company because 90 to 95% of our work is around emotional intelligence, supporting leaders on developing their own journey, often working with senior leadership teams to develop and enhance how they interact, how they relate together, and fundamentally how they deliver what they're going to deliver. And and this is one of the, the joys of emotional intelligence because it's about as you said earlier, Andrew, that behavior that we can develop, then there's there's so much bang for your buck, return on investment that you get with it. What are the areas you're you're looking to continue your development, serving others through your career and, and, and what you bring to uh, to business? So Emotional Intelligence Company is a small team of committed individuals that are focused towards that. And Holly Blenkinsop started as an apprentice is now approaching five years, is now a junior practitioner. So I do see that shadow of my own journey. It's great to invest in Ollie, and he's starting to work with some of our clients with some of their emerging talent. He's working in the sort of 20 to 30 age range. So we're growing a team of not only internal coaches and deliverers, but we have a wide associate network as well that we deliver different projects with. So that's that's where we've shifted to now. And really, to answer your question about the future, I'm actually in the process of writing a book. Uh, we've got the title, EQ Influence, Leadership Behaviour That Brings Extraordinary Results. The science, the research confirms that. And I've had the privilege of working with many hundreds, if not thousands of leaders in groups and one-to-one about that development journey and seeing the benefit of that and equipping them to be able to go and do that as well. 
So the book is is a big focus for me, which is a big challenge. You know, not being academically secure, I think, is probably the right way to say it. You know, we all have our imposters and critics and judges that we talk in our heads. So to get over those challenges have, have been a, a real learning journey. Mm, very good. Oh well, we'll look, we'll look forward to seeing how the how the book develops and the, and, and growing of, of the business through the people you're working with, like Ollie and uh, and the associates as well. I'm just wondering whether you've got a perspective on how we can develop the younger generation in the field of emotional intelligence, so that by the time they've developed as leaders. They're, they're almost there and the job is done. Do you know what I mean? Is, have you got any sort of comment on that at all? I think that there's a couple of areas that we could focus on towards that. I think the first thing is the generations that are coming through now, so Gen Z and the younger generations that are now emerging in the workforce, they know that there's a concept called emotional intelligence they're yes they're more expressive and often more adept at being able to be more emotionally expressive and bring that value for themselves and often will speak out about that my experiences with working with some of those generation groups is that they they know about it more but they are still just as unpracticed so i think this is where the becoming me program is just a game changer for emerging talent because it begins a self-awareness journey that often we're not invited to do until we're in a leadership position. And that's decades too late, really. Not too late, but could have happened earlier. And I think that's one of the exciting things, going on that learning journey, building self-awareness, starting to learn more detail about some of these different areas that get covered. It does create a fantastic foundation for leadership. Because one of the biggest challenges that comes up in most conversation with leadership teams is we're too busy doing stuff. We know we should be coaching our people and growing them. And they often are trained to be coaches, but they're still not applying that. And that's part of that challenge of learning, self-awareness. So to begin that early, create that foundation means that those coaching conversations, that development opportunity is not so difficult. And people then create a learning environment. I mean, we we often hear the quote, a leader is somebody who grows leaders, not just gets stuff done. And I think that's one of the real privileges that often gets lost when we get into corporate world that, yeah, we want to deliver this, we want to hit this turnover or this profit. But actually, it's an investment back in the people because we're we're only here for a time. And most of us want to leave our fingerprints on the work that we do. And I think leaving that legacy with people is one of the most satisfying and biggest privileges I think that we can do. And and for companies looking at their workforce and thinking about this sort of thing, what do you think's in it for the company to develop and invest in an emotionally intelligent workforce? Oh, that is really gigantic if they engage with it at the level because you don't just get engaged workforce. You get well-being gets spoken into work-life balance. People want to bring their best selves to work. We talk about our environment at the moment. There's lots of disruption and 
people often don't want to lean into disruption and change like that because it feels so uncomfortable. It creates fears and anxieties. But if you're okay navigating some of that harder stuff, then, well, well, disruption is an opportunity of innovation and creativity. And so it really does turn this kind of journey that we're on globally at the minute in organizations and countries for that matter, politics, governments, so much turmoil and and often we're not leaning into it in the way that we should. And, And I think the game changer for organizations is they get so much more back on that investment. And that's even if people go on to leave them. You know, the really brave companies, they grow people and they know then they might not stay for as long as we want. But, you know, the young generations coming through now, they know that actually this isn't serving me for whatever reason. I am just going to change. And that's where that leadership gap can be sometimes. That's really helpful. I just want to ask one last question here, which is a question I usually finish with, which is what advice would you want to give your younger self about the journey he's about to undertake? I think there have been definite times in my career where I've stopped learning. You kind of reach a a point where you're comfortable, you've got that competence, confidence of what you're doing, you know your topic area, you're loving what you're doing. And then something comes along and disrupts that and suddenly you're in a discomfort place. It's difficult. Sometimes it's feel like giving up. So I think my advice to me as a younger self would be always be learning. Find out what works for you. I'm a massive Audible fan. I love podcasts. I've been listening to your podcasts, Andrew, and you learn so much from other people's journeys. So yeah, be a learner is what I would say. Very good. Look, Gary, thanks so much for your time. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.